All right, guys. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to look at just a verse of the, of, of, uh, at the end of chapter 1. That is one of our core culture verses here uh, at AOX. But then we're going to go, go past that this morning. The main thing we're going to focus on this morning is living set apart. And I want to use this passage uh, from 1 Peter 2 that we're going to get to in a moment to uh, just reinforce something that's really important. And we're going to actually take a look at a few scriptures uh, this morning. And so I remember when I was a little kid, I would hear messages like this. And the uh, speaker would say, you're going to have to put on your, your track shoes because we're going we're to cover some ground. That is the hope today. You guys know I don't like going... Uh, fast through things. But my hope today is about the next 30 minutes we'll have some time in the Word and then have a time of communion as we get ready to go into lunch. At lunch today, we'll be taking time to hear from each other just what we've been sensing the Lord speaking in this time of prayer and this time of, of fasting. So, living set apart, uh, going all in for Jesus uh, is what we're talking about today. So, one of our, our core scriptures uh, as we think about what it means to love God uh, and give him, give him our whole lives to love each other deeply, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 22, uh, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This idea of loving one another deeply or loving one another fervently with a pure heart is something that from the very beginning of our, our journey as a church together, we have said that is important and we need to grow beyond our past experience if we're going to fulfill the New Testament instructions of, of God. Does that make sense to you guys with me? The idea of fulfilling what Jesus called us to in John 13 and, and understanding the importance of uh, out of abiding in Him in John 15, that 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 call to abide in Him comes because what He left us with was a new commandment that is impossible for us to live out on our own. There is no way that we can love one another the way that Jesus loves outside of Him being our source. Right. I like to be a nice guy. I want to be someone who is loving. But I tell you, Brad McCoy, in and of himself, will never get to the place where I can love like Jesus unless I am dependent upon daily connection with him. Does that make sense? So, this passage is important, though, because it is a pivot. And this morning, we're highlighting this First Peter 1 passage. We're starting our conversation here because it is something familiar. Love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born again. Melissa is amazing. I got to meet somebody this last week who told me that Melissa changed her life. Because she went with Melissa on a mission trip to Bolivia. And she's marking out, as a student, marking out the course of her life. This summer, the Lord came and, and, and at a worship night. Uh, while she was back home for the summer, had a worship night, the Lord came and, and turned the lights on and she saw something more of God. I'm telling you, like, in this room, I could go around and just look at all the different places and ways that different ones of you have different 
uh, places of influence in different people's lives. I will never get to meet all the people that Melissa gets to walk with in the course of her life, in the course of her work. Does that make sense? But I am called to love her deeply and purely from the heart as a result of the fact I've been born again with an incorrupt seed. It is the overflow of my life that we learn to love deeply and fervently, not because it's easy, not because it is uh, convenient, not because there is, um, it's mutually beneficial. All those things are true. It should be healthy, pure relationships should be mutually beneficial. But that's not the charge here. The charge is love each other deeply because you've been born again. Love each other deeply as a way of showing there's something incorruptible about the one we've said yes to. And his word abides in us and we need, we need to know that we can't get to chapter two without first going through chapter one. So now let's, let's go on into chapter two. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Say that. To you who believe, he is precious. Come on. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Holy Spirit, help us. Look at me for a moment. How many of you know the story about how the gospel came to your family? You know the story, right? How many of you grew up in a family where the gospel was a part of your experience growing up? Raise your hands. So for most of us in the room, we experience the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody else before us in our family line had also done that. Does that make sense? I'm not going to tell the whole story again. I, I probably, it's probably the most frequent story I tell, but it may be the most important story that I have. But this week, I got a chance to spend time with my dad's four sisters. And we had some of the most precious conversations about the grace of God, about the beauty of the gospel, and around just worshiping and praying together. It was incredible. And I would look at them. We had a time of worship on Thursday at dinner. We just... Um, 
had some good southern cooking, some chicken and pastry. And then we had about an hour of just going from one song to the next. And I looked around the table and tears were just flooding. And why am I telling you this? Because when my dad and his sisters were growing up, they didn't know Jesus. And his mom and dad didn't know Jesus. And so my dad, if, well, most of you probably heard him tell you this, but he would go to church, but he never remembers hearing the gospel. He would color all the, the O's in and, and the bullets in, and he would count the, the bricks and count the lights, but he never remembers hearing the gospel until some people came to the neighborhood and started praying for my dad and his siblings and investing their life so these people who are not people could become people. That's what, that's what first Peter just said. You who are not a people, you, he, to you, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, he's a stumbling block. He's offensive. He is precious. And he said that part of what he does in return when we come to him is he makes us precious. He makes us a special people. And some people that I don't really know, I, I had a chance to meet a few of them. Like my dad and I were at a funeral this this spring, and I got a chance to take my picture with my dad and with one of the men who was involved in leading my dad to Jesus. But I cannot imagine growing up without Jesus. I don't have a grid for what that was like, but my dad and his sisters did. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. They did not know him, and I, I fear it can become so easy for us to become complacent and forget the preciousness of the gospel of Jesus. And may we never, ever, ever become too familiar so that it leads us into complacency. But the more we become intimate, may it drive us with a holy fervor to show that He is precious in our lives. As I sat there and, and, and sang these songs and looked at these four women who I've grown up with and we just had such, I mean, just the time that we had together in the Lord, I thought about one of the scriptures that impacted me, which is this, this passage here in, in verse 9. It says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So much, we don't talk about this as much, but so much of why we do what we do in this church community flows out of this scripture. Because culturally, it can be easy to think of the priesthood as kind of the hierarchy in the church. Does that make sense? But a part of the new covenant is all of us who have come to him, who have been born again by this incorruptible seed, are called into the royal priesthood. My mother-in-law called me uh, a few months ago. She was proofreading a section of our, of our new book. And she happened to be proofreading a week that talked about the royal priesthood. And she said, growing up Baptist, I only ever thought about the word priest in terms of Catholicism or maybe like a Jewish priest. I never thought about what it meant for me. And I realized, okay, this is something maybe we don't talk about enough because this idea that we've been called as a part of the priesthood is a really important thing for the new covenant. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, we hear this picture about out of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, he has called 
people to himself, that they would be kings and priests. So I think that I knew from the time I was a small boy that when I looked at a map, and we would have a missions conference, I would see a map, I would know that God wanted people from every one of those places to be born again. Does that make sense? Is that true? Does God want people to be born again from all those places? Absolutely. But it's so much more than that. It's, it is the fact that there are people in every one of those tribes, tongues, peoples, and places that he wants to call to himself to be priest and king, to release his reign on the earth. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I told you all that to tell you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Established. We are called to love one another deeply, fervently. That word fervently has to do with white hot. First Chronicles, or excuse me, Second Chronicles 29. Second Chronicles 29. Sorry about that. We're going to get there in just a second. We're going to talk about Hezekiah. If you go back and you look at, at chapter 28 and you just kind of do some, just a little bit more reading, you can find that Hezekiah's dad was not a good king. He began to worship the gods of Damascus because the Syrians had victory over them. And he thought, well, maybe since their gods gave them victory, their gods would listen to me. And he began to worship those gods and set up those idols. And this is important because we're going to read this Old Testament story from the end of 29 into the beginning of 30. And then we're going to come back and ask what it means for us today. Okay? You guys doing all right? Okay. This whole thing is really good, and I would encourage you, if you have some time, well, I would encourage you, you have time. I would encourage you to take time and make a priority to read Second, or Second Chronicles 29, 30, and 31. There's a, lot, there's a lot of really good stuff that we will not get to today in here. But for the purpose of our conversation, I want us to begin reading in verse 31. So now Hezekiah is king, and Hezekiah has realized that the things... Of, of God have been neglected and he sets about to set things in order. So starting in verse 31 and it says this, then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assemblies brought in sacrifices and thank offerings and as many were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings and the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, and all these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep, but the priests were too few. So they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance and the fat of peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. Now, again, if you'll, if you'll go back and at a different time and read this, you'll find that they had to do some things because the very end of 28 tells you about how uh, King Ahaz had gone after other gods. 
So we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story, but I want you to see that the Levites became passionate about this call to be set apart, this call to be consecrated. Can everybody see the word consecrated? Let's, let's try that together, right? One, two, three. Consecrated. What does that word mean? Set apart. Set apart for a purpose. So when we get lazy or when we get complacent, it's easy for us to forget that God has called us to be set apart for a purpose. So Hezekiah says, we have got to repent. We have to return. There's a lot of repent and return in these chapters. We need to return to the Lord. And maybe when we return to the Lord, the Lord will show his kindness to us. Maybe the Lord will have mercy on us. I am so thankful that we have a relationship with the perfect Lamb of God who once and for all has made sacrifice for us. The Lamb of God has been slain. I, we have a lot of things we're trying to figure out. I am so glad we're not trying to figure out where to put the 3,000 sheep and the bulls. But did you read the part where it said there was more willingness of heart for sacrifice than the priests who were able? And the first thing I want to highlight in this invitation is I think it's really important to know that Revelation 5 is a promise. There will be kings and priests out of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. That's going to happen. It is happening. Right? It's not like a pressure tactic of what, what happens if we drop the ball nothing. God's, God's whole plan is going to fall apart. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you there is a promise that we're working from. But there, there are things in our own lives, there are things I believe within our own community where the Lord is calling us to live a place of consecration so that we're ready. So that we're ready to do the things He's wanting to do. Sometimes I get into conversations with people, healing's an easy one to talk about. But why doesn't God heal? I'm not going to try to answer that in the next 30 seconds. I will tell you this. I think there's a lot of things that we wrestle with theologically that have much more to do about are we in shape and ready to run with God? Are we walking with Him? Have we been made ready? And are we exercising what He's asking from us? You may want to write this down. If you're taking notes, I plan on putting the notes out later today if you want to write this down. We're not going to go read the Acts 2 passages, but I was praying this week I felt really just, just strong in my heart that we can read Acts 2 and read about Pentecost and read about the things that flowed out of Pentecost where it said they continued daily. And I feel like as a culture, I'm not saying that you as an individual, and I'm not even saying that our church, I'm just saying that we have to take some responsibility here and not act like it's everybody else's a problem. As a culture, we would like to see a lifestyle that was a daily, continuous lifestyle distilled into something that's manageable and fits easily into our lives. And that is not living set apart. That's saying, I have a value for this if you can put it here. That word that we were talking about in the spring, proskathoreo, that idea of continuing, that, that uh, idea of saying, hey, this is something, this is a lifestyle thing. We're continuing in prayer. We're continuing breaking bread. We're continuing to go daily to the temple for prayer. We are in a culture right now where if we can find, okay, how, how can I minimize the impact of what this is going to cost so that I can have as much freedom in my life as I can? 
That does not speak to the level of worthiness I believe that we confess and actually want to. It's a place where I think we've been lulled into sleep and we've been drawn into the ways of the world around us and we don't, we've forgotten what it means to be set apart. And so there's a place where I think that I don't want this to come out as a place of like, oh, you're doing a bad job or I'm doing a bad job. I'm saying let's be fully awake and recognize there's something about seeing the high places in our lives that are demanding our attention and our affection being pulled down so we can give ourselves to the one that we say we're giving everything to. Let's keep reading. This is the end of 20, or the end of 35. It says, so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Amen. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. We know that's not talking about this building at 145 South Broad Street. Because we've already read the New Testament and said that we are being made a house of living stones. I'm not talking to you about AORX, the organization. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the house of God. There's something that is beautiful when the service of the house of the Lord is set in order. Where we each understand the part that we have to play. And we understand that it's God's best plan to release His grace from us and to us through each other. Let's finish that chapter and read the first few verses. Verse 36. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. I believe that God is calling us into a place of just being aware of what being set apart means, and I don't think this has to take the next 30 years. Verse or chapter 30, verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly of Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month for they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel and Beersheba to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Now, whenever I first read this passage a couple weeks ago as part of 10 days, I read this and I was so sad because I hadn't read 29 yet. I just read that they had not set themselves apart. Well, the fact is, repentance is already taking place by this. Passover doesn't usually take place in that month. They said, we weren't ready, but we got ready. We weren't ready, but we made ourselves ready. If you would go on and, and finish reading this passage, you would find, actually, let's go down to the end of the chapter. There's a lot of good stuff. Let me tell you something. When they sent runners to every place in the kingdom, they sent runners to Judah and, 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 uh, and to all of Israel. They sent it to the outlying tribes. And it says very clearly that some people mocked. Some people laughed. But the very next phrase was when the Lord showed his mercy. Because a few humbled themselves. But let's just look at the end of that chapter of chapter 30. 
Let's look at 23. The whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. These are the feast of the Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread. That's going to be important in just a minute. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep, and the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. Amen. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced and also the priests and Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel and the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place heaven. I like I like that in the midst of a story that starts with a, with a king who went after another god that where we bring that place to a conclusion is there was great joy in Jerusalem because their prayers were being heard and the dwelling place of God. Turn over quickly to Colossians Colossians 3 what does this look like for us today? What does it look like in the new covenant to be set apart? We could take the next three, four months and go into that. But as of asking the Lord, where can we look at together? He led me to Colossians 3, the first few verses here in Colossians 3, that I want us to read as we prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to read Colossians 3, and we're going to go and read the words of Jesus from Luke 22 as we prepare to celebrate communion. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Listen to me for just a moment. When I think about our church family, both collectively and individually, I sincerely believe that you have decided to follow Jesus. That you have made a decision in your heart. I want to go after him. I don't really have a question about that decision. I'm saying in my own life, as we've gone through this time of prayer and of fasting, I feel like the Lord has highlighted places that need to be cast down. There are places where I've grown too concerned with other things and that's taken my attention away from putting my eyes on Christ and on things that are above. That's what he's inviting us to. Fix your eyes on Christ, on things that are above, not on things that are below, not on the things of, not on the things of this world. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. How many of you want to be able to walk that out? That our life is hidden in Him. This is a practical way of setting ourselves apart. That I am looking at you guys and I've had conversations with different one of you. I know what it's cost for you to say yes to follow Jesus. Let's, what Paul tells in Galatians, you are running well. Don't stop. Who would hinder you from that? The hindering that comes in Galatians is because we've been bewitched. We begin to put our trust in another. And I think when in our culture, we often put trust in ourselves or in our need to have everything figured out. We died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are in the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We're going to be done there right now. If you want to go ahead and turn over to Luke 22, we're going to wrap this up and prepare for communion. When I think about what does it mean to be set apart? One of the things that I believe is that my big yes for Jesus is lived out in a thousand little yeses every day. Does that make sense to you? My big yes for Jesus is actually lived out in a thousand little yeses for him. I feel like I'm looking at a room full of people that you have decided as an individual and we have decided to say yes to Jesus. But I'm being challenged in the little yeses. I'm being challenged in some of my little yeses and saying, what does it mean for me to freshly give myself back to him? Set apart all for Jesus. When we think about that passage that talks about these horrible things like fornication, evil desires, passion, a lot of translations that word covetousness is translated as greed which is idolatry. Anytime that I'm afraid to ask the question if there's an idol there, it means there probably is one. I'm being called, hey, you used to live like that. That's not what's fitting for you anymore. Since, since you have purified yourselves, don't put away anger, put away malice, put away filthy things coming out of your mouth. You know, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Just because it's allowed doesn't mean it's set apart. Listen to me. We can get too religious. None of us want that. But we can't be too set apart. We can be too religious, but we cannot be too set apart. I would ask that as we move into this next month, that we would really encourage you to read those chapters from Second Chronicles. But give yourself to just reading through. Colossians is a beautiful book about the gospel. It's a beautiful book about our relationship with him. But this place in chapter one is I just say, God, what does it mean for us to be called to a set of our life? See, here's the deal. You're too honest. You've already said you don't want to play games. And for some of you, it's such a struggle to be a Christian and not be all in for him. Because you know that's what you're made for. Do you hear me? You don't want to be in neutral. That's not what's actually you've signed up for. It's actually kind of sickening to you. And I'm not trying about, I'm not talking about you trying harder. I'm saying, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to our first love. Let's go back to a place where we say, here's my offering. Here I am. Set apart. Come on. 
All for Jesus. We can get too religious, but we can't be too set apart. What would it be like one-on-one to come back to him again and say, are there, are there places where I've gotten greedy? Are there places where my life has gotten tangled up in the things of this world? Are there things that I think are owed to me? Is there places where my yes has become smaller because the scope of what I'm willing to offer has become smaller? I don't think this is because we've turned our intentionally turned away from them. I think the affairs of this world lure us away from that fresh face-to-face encounter. Does that make sense? In Luke 22, I, I was stunned whenever I was just kind of thinking about communion today. You know, there's some beautiful passages about communion, but I said, I want to go back to one of Jesus ones, you know. I don't want to listen to Paul today. Let's be talking about him. Let's, let's, let's go back and get to Jesus. And in Luke 22, 7, look what it says. Then came the day of unleavened bread. The feast. Or when the Passover must be killed. That's the same thing we're just reading about in 7 Chronicles 29. God was calling a people to be set apart. God was calling for the Levites and the priests to be ready so the blessing of the covenant can be celebrated. There has only ever been one Passover lamb worthy. There still is only one lamb who is worthy. And his worthiness calls us to freshly set ourselves apart. His worthiness calls us into this place of consecration. Not because we ought to. I don't want you to be foolish and get into a place where you're always living under a place of a self-imposed law and think that's what it is. Colossians 2 outlines that. All those things that seem to have some kind of authority in our lives by living under these rules, it would seem to bring God into life. Those things are driven by our flesh and they lack they lack that but when our eyes are fixed on him. In the same way that I cannot love Isabel like Jesus, unless I am abiding in him, I love Isabel. I think she's an amazing woman. But I am not a good enough person to love her like Jesus without, unless I'm abiding in him and his love is actually the thing. That I, that's what I have to give is what I have received. Does that make sense? In the same way that I cannot do that with we, we can't do it with each other. We cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot make ourselves set apart enough. It must come by choosing, or consciously choosing to live with our affections on Him, to live with Him being the one that we're fixing. He must become our one thing. And our one thing can't be crammed into a few minutes a week. It's, it's our one thing. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you've entered a city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, 
Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. And so they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But the, behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it also would do such a thing. Can we take just a few minutes to prepare our hearts for giving? There's a couple of things I want to point out as we do. Number one, these simple fishermen who were never trained, who were never trained uh, at a rabbinical school, but walked with Jesus. They had been made worthy and made ready to prepare the Passover. You walking in a place of being a priest that's set apart isn't about how much you know. It isn't about your credentials. It's about the willingness in our hearts to say yes and then walk with him. As we hear these words from Jesus, I just want us to point back. This is why it's so important that we grow to a place where we're each able to take a radical responsibility to the real faith. Because this call from him, he said, I desire that I could share this meal with you. It is my desire. I never want anyone to feel like you are helpless to share in communion with the one who suffered for you. It's a matter of making ourselves ready, not just in a moment. I do want to call to mind. Think about, there, are there places in your heart that you need to get right? Are there, are there defenses that you're holding on to that need to be right? Those are important things. But I think it's been reduced to like getting ready during a church service instead of living ready. God, it is our heart that as we come to celebrate and remember you, that it's not just so we can observe this ordinance or to take of this sacrament in this moment, but it's because our lives reflect what we've said yes to. Fathers, we prepare to remember you with matzah and the fruit juice. Would you just, over these next few minutes, speak to our hearts?